Hi everybody, this is Marlene with Miami Ghost Chronicle Stories of the Supernatural and today I have a fantastic lady to interview. Her name is Tui Snyder and um, she's an author. She's written several books including the one that I'm just dying to talk to her about which is Cemetery <laughs> Symbols because as you could tell from some of my shows I go on what they call cemetery runs which is I go through all these different cemeteries from the ones in the major cities to those little rural cemeteries um, that popped up especially here in central florida after the civil war and as a matter of fact i was discussing with her before we started rolling that uh so many times you know i see symbols especially on these old um the ones that actually uh you know would write stuff especially the poor cemeteries and i was like i know this means something but i just don't know what it is <laughs> so here we let's get going how are you doing Tui? how are you doing today Oh, I'm doing great. I'm really excited. Glad yes. technology is cooperating. <laughs> oh, yeah. Believe me. <laughs> That's, I did a whole show on that, on paranormal sabotage, where one time oh. it seemed like, you know, after I had checked all my stuff and my connections and my camera and my audio, everything went south. So I know, I know. I'm going to, I call it paranormal sabotage, but I know that sometimes we're at the mercy of uh, of electronics and computers and stuff like that. If they don't want to cooperate, oh, yeah. we're we're out of luck. <laughs> but anyway, I, I know you, um, you're an author. You've done several books about the paranormal. Um, yes. I'll do show and tell. <laughs> I yeah. brought them all here. Well, no, I've, as a matter of fact, I'm going to put a link, but I do have uh, a slide with all your last four books. Ooh. Okay. On there. And you're, of course, a link good. to, um, to, you know, what, the about your books, but the one, I mean, you did you one for Paranormal Texas. You probably companion workbook. I'll get into these, too. I've oh, got yes, I saw that. that. I saw those. And the I've ghost, got this one. This is so Right, fun. that was the Ghost I, Hunters workbook, and the what was the other one? The, um, the Graveyard Journal. The Graveyard. Like, I was looking at that. I was like, oh, my God, what is that? I, I'm filling mine up. I, it's fun because, anyway, we can talk about it later. Yes, I'm, yes. I'm getting ahead of myself. I'm just excited. So, um. <laughs> I'm, I'm going to ask you what I ask everybody. How mm -hmm. did you get involved with the paranormal? Was it something that happened to you as a kid? Was it an adult? What happened? Oh, it was definitely um, something that happened to me as a kid. And I, I pondered all the time. I am the youngest of three kids mm -hmm. by quite a gap. There's like seven years and 10 years. Wow. And okay. when you're the youngest, you kind of know you're, when you say there's something went bump in the night, it, it gets People are like, oh, yeah, honey, you and your big <laughs> imagination. And I admit that I have a big imagination, right? I get that part. But uh, starting from about age 11, 10 or 11, we lived in this one house. And this continued the whole time I lived there. Okay. But it would just be randomly. Now, it, it would happen. And so this is why I have a pet peeve, too, where people think that the paranormal only happens at 3 a.m. or something. Oh, or maybe sure. Midnight. Yes. No. You could, you could go on about that. Because when you're 11, yeah. There's a little pet peeve of mine. Okay, so when you're like 11 years old, your family doesn't leave you alone at three at the night, you know. Mm -hmm. But what would happen is maybe they'd all go grocery shopping or somewhere. They'd all be doing something. I'd be home alone. I remember the first time I was playing with my hamsters okay. <laughs> and, and, my, and my train set. I had a really cool train set trying to get my hamsters to ride the train. They weren't into it. I was like, oh, well, whatever. When I hear, you know how when you're little and you're told not to jump on the bed, Yes. So of course, you know, when they're gone, you jump on the bed. Well, we had this um, guest room. It wasn't anybody's official bedroom. It was just that grandma came or a guest came. Right. It was downstairs, kind of below my bedroom in, in a room over. Well, 
I knew exactly what it sounded like when someone was jumping on that bed. So I'm sitting there going, come on, you know, I want you to Houdini with the name of my hamster. I want you to ride the train. And all of a sudden I hear, um, you know, bounce, 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 bounce. Someone mm. is bouncing on that bed. And I know I am home alone. So I was terrified that first time. It went on for maybe 10 minutes, which seems okay. like forever. I've so I believe. Tell, I was terrified, stayed in. I told everybody, they come home, they search the house, nothing. So I, they just, oh, honey, you and your big imagination. Mm-hmm. <laughs> well, I kind of forgot about it, as you do. Um, yeah. And what do you know, maybe three months later, or I don't know how long it was, it happened again. And I mentioned it again. Finally, I quit mentioning it, but every few months when I was home okay. alone, sometime it happened like at 7 p.m., so this, this bouncing would happen. Finally, after I don't know how many months, I decided I've got to confront this thing. And I, okay. the thing about it was it sent me – the good part about this was because no one, I couldn't explain it. No one believed me. Mm-hmm. I went to the library. There was no internet then, so I couldn't right. Google this. So we lived in a university town, and there were all sorts of libraries I could go to. I went to the, mostly the public library, and I checked out. I asked about this. The librarian was wonderful. She pointed me to the ghost section, and I started going into the adult section at that age and finding all these books on metaphysics, Edgar Casey, reincarnation. Uh-huh. And because of, I couldn't explain this, it turned me on to this whole, what? You mean adults do believe this? There are some adults who do believe this and actually research this. And I started doing yoga, which is silly when, I mean, it's good, but uh-huh. when you're 11, you're like a pretzel. I mean, I, I, yeah, it's like, everything. yeah, but yeah. See, I'll put my head behind me. Why, why is this so hard? Oh, no. oh, I could be like that now. <laughs> but um, so, but uh, so I'm really grateful to this. At the time, I was so mad because I didn't want to look dumb in front of you know, everyone else. It seems so smart. I mean, they are. You know, they're older than me and so much more capable. And uh, but this went on and on. So finally, I decided to confront the ghost. I decided, well, maybe it's some sort of poltergeist from reading. Right. It was noisy ghost, which fit. And so I was doing. I was taking notes on this stuff. It really got me into it. And. Uh, I go run it down. I put a, a afghan over my shoulders, and I had the cat in one arm and a pool cue in the other arm, and I felt—I <laughs> thought that was going to keep me safe. And Love it. Something, something, something. I go Love running, it. running downstairs. I'm standing out in front of the door, and I'm going, "What are you?" And I can still hear it. Something, something, something. So I kick the door open. Luckily, it wasn't shut all the way, uh-huh. and it stops. And wow. the cat goes, "Rear." Yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> And I flick the light on and I run around and put my hands around because I'd heard that it could, you know, by that time I'd read that paranormal activity could cause cold spots, but it was undetermined. It was, you know, it was a basement. So it was kind right. of, cool, you know, I don't know. But long and short of it is it showed me that recurring incident showed me that there's more to the world than the five senses and everything. Oh, sure. Mm-hmm. And it got me, I, I connected with another girl and she and I, I don't know why she believed me, but she believed me and we would start trading books on that, you know, Edgar mm-hmm. Casey and all these other things and reading whatever, Rosicrucians, you know, anything we right. could find out, mysterious right. stuff, trying to find an answer. And finally, one day when uh, we were about 15 or 16, I think, we were doing homework at my house and everybody was gone and it happened. The something happened and I was so happy finally someone was there with me. So we went run. I was just like, "Yay, come on down!" She was all scared. I'm like, "Yay, isn't that great? There's nobody in there. Come on!" Like, yeah, because oh, because by now I... you were you were like, "I can handle this." Uh, yeah, but I was just happy that someone else was hearing it. I forgot to be scared. I was like vindicated. Like, "Yay, another living person heard it!" So, and I do have a funny connection. Years later, my stepdaughter, when she was little, 
Mm-hmm. We lived out on this little tiny island, and there was a population of seven out there. And we were caretakers for some people. That's why we got to live out there. And this, she told me that when she would walk down on the beach and around the corner to this one cove, she would hear Indian drumming, like Native Americans, wow. but not, not very often. And our our island was known, like the there were no Native Americans living there now, but they had, it was a special island to them. They would come over and um, cut the cedars down there to make their canoes because it was okay. kind of, um, you know, back in the day. Uh-huh. And, uh, but I, I, my first imprint, Pulse was, uh, I'm sure she's just hearing boat hulls slapping on the water. Right, right. But I remembered how I felt. So I was like, oh, that's interesting. You know, tell me next time it happens. And I thought, you know, I didn't want her to feel like I did that frustration. Yeah. I wanted her to know she was believed. And my friend from, from childhood who'd heard the something in my house came to visit us out on the island. Oh, really? And I kind of forgot about what my stepdaughter had said. She and I are catching up. We're walking along by the, the water's edge. And all of a sudden, she's like, do you hear that? I'm like, uh, yeah, it sounds like drumming. And we heard this, like, you know, that kind of doom, 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 yeah. doom, doom, doom. And I was like, oh, well, maybe so there, someone must uh, come visit the island around the corner. They're having a drumming circle. So we walk around the corner. And no. that very same cove, we walk up, and we get right to the spot where suddenly my, my stepdaughter's story comes into my head. She said, and mom, as soon as I get to, the, to their bottom step, it stops. I'm like, the sound stopped. Okay. I got chills, and I'm like, holy moly. And we ran up and looked all around, nothing. And I was so excited. It was kind of interesting that it was the same girl who had, or yes. you know, now she's a woman, who had heard that with me as a kid, you know? And so right, right, right. Little... And let me ask yeah, something. So... No, afterwards, when you all grew up, because I know sometimes I've heard of families that while it's going on, they kind of do exactly what you say. Everybody's like, no, no. And then later on, when everybody grows up or sometimes moves away, they kind of fess up oh. that they had their own experiences. They yes. Did. Okay. There was one or two things. I need to mine this a little bit more. But apparently there was something going on. My dad would hear a something in our house. He would hear someone knocking down on the basement, like the back door. Because it had like a little mother-in-law apartment uh-huh. kind of thing. And when my, when my older sister was in college, she lived there. And so she'd go out on dates and, you know, and come okay. home late at night. And he thought maybe she'd forgotten her key. So he'd hear knocking. And he'd go down and check the door. Nothing would be there. He'd go upstairs, and like 10 minutes later, she'd come home. And he thought it was a weird coincidence. So I, I learned this years later. I'm like, well, thanks. You know, <laughs> I need to ask them all, like at Christmas, like, come on, fess up, people. What else, you know? But at the time, right, I was right, the only because, one. And it makes you think that the thing I'm jumping on the bed, you think of a little kid. You know, mm-hmm. like. Maybe. You know, Although, that's usually who's, who gets a thrill out of getting on the bed and jumping on it. I know it was a thrill to me. It certainly got my attention. I sometimes wonder, maybe the whole purpose of it was just to get me questioning things. I mean, yeah. maybe it's some aspect of myself from the future. Or maybe, you know, I get really out there in my thoughts. I'm like, maybe it was just something to keep my mind open. It, it definitely kept my mind open. And it made me nicer to people who say they have something weird. Because I'm like, I kind of respect what they're experiencing. Because, you know, it made yeah, me less it judgmental. It gives you a little so bit of empathy happened. and say, you know yeah. what? I know what it's like not to be believed or to be poo-pooed. Oh, do I? <laughs> you know, just because I'm a little kid. Mm-hmm. And... Uh, and so I'm always respectful because I think little kids are, I look back, I had a lot of experiences as a little kid where you just, I'd hear things, you know, or I, I would just know things that I wasn't supposed to know sometimes. And I didn't know how I knew them. So I, then I would try to find a reason to know. Yes. How did I know that they, I can't think of a good example right now, but just a little, so I think, you know. Oh, yeah. I think we all have 
you know, um, I remember when I kind of did something. I, I didn't have, because of an experience, but I was one of those library geeks even when I was a Me kid. Me too. And, but back Libraries then, the only great. thing they had was like Hans Holzer. You know, they didn't have like the yeah. all the books that they got now. I know. Um, now it's like, wow. And then there's Google and there's Show yeah. with Yours and, you know, wow. There's a, you know, there's a million things and um, mm -hmm. he was like the only one out there that was really putting out books. But most of the stuff took up took place up in those properties up in the northeast u.s and uh, yeah that was my introduction to it and mm -hmm. i remember um it was I, I didn't have an experience that i really think about it till i was like in my teens and i didn't realize what it was until later on because when you're oh, a teenager you're you pay attention to everything but that. Yeah. <laughs> so what happened fast forward how did you i mean obviously you have that interest and i i that, the, that's yeah. the point i was trying to make i know what it's like when you as a kid you have that interest in it. It mm -hmm. still keeps going with you mm -hmm. as you become older. Oh, it does. And um, and then, of course, you know, during the 80s and 90s and everything, more and more authors started coming out with uh, either metaphysic, you know, metaphysical books, um, mm -hmm. things of that nature. Even though I'll tell you, uh, I think what put me off for it like a, for a while was back when the first time I saw The Exorcist, which I went without my mother's permission. Oh. <laughs> Oh my I God! Oh, <laughs> and it took I'm me. I'm glad I didn't see that for a long, long no, time. No, <laughs> my my mom had told me you can't go to see that. I've heard that that mm -hmm. movie, you know, because it was making all the papers. And I have yeah. an uncle who was much younger, like you said, like a 20 year difference, mm -hmm. and him and his oh, wife okay. are gonna go see it. Mm -hmm. And they said, "You want to go?" I said, "Yeah." She uh, and I'm and I tell my mom, "Oh, I'm gonna go with Uncle." And she goes, "What are you gonna? Go, what are you? What are you guys gonna go see?" <laughs> I said, oh, the Day of the Dolphin had just come out. I said, oh, we're going to go see that movie. With I lied. I lied. Yeah. But then oh, it caught oh, up no. with me because, you know, of course, I saw about the first 20 minutes of the movie and then the rest of the time I could, I was freaked out. I couldn't even look at the, at the screen. I made my uncle walk me to the door. So that <laughs> night I go and I sleep with my mom, but I not only sleep with her, I'm like on top of her. She's like, what's wrong with you? You know, what are you doing? And I'm like, oh, I had to fess gosh. up. I started crying. Wait. I went to see that movie. I told you not to go. <laughs> my older sister did something like that with me. She took me to some horror movie. I can't, I don't know the name of it to this day, but it was. But. Um, you know, we lived in a college town, so they'd have classic movies come through that you could go see. So she thought I was going to see Gone with the Wind. Uh -huh. But I actually go to see, like, you know, Bloodbath City 4. Yeah, exactly. You know? yes. And so after that, and, um, they're like, after that, I'd ask to go to a movie. They'd be like, I don't know. You had nightmares after Gone with the Wind. So this one might be. And I mean, you're like, well, gonna be okay. Scary for me. <laughs> I'm like, okay, I can't fess up and explain what I really saw. Saw because if not, that's it. I couldn't. I couldn't because I was like I said. Not only did I sleep with my mom, I was like almost hugging her. And she's trying to sleep, and you can tell she's like, "What's wrong with you?" You know, like. Yes. <laughs> so yeah, I, know I had to confess, goes. and um, but yeah, that was the only detour that I think that I took from the paranormal. And then I got over it, and I realized, you know. But, but yeah, so here you are. You become an adult, and uh, did mm -hmm. you keep on having experiences, or what happened? Yes, I did. Um, I think. I've just always been open to it. And the one thing that I really, this is one of my little soapbox issues, and it's why okay. I created, I'll just show you, you know how I made that, the Ghost Hunters Journal. Yes. And this is a recent recent thing I made. 
But um, and even while we're talking today, you know, I, I have a little notebook on me. I constantly, I've kept a, a journal for years, for decades, you know. Okay. But the thing about it is, okay, here's what I think. And I, 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 I notice this a lot now because there is since, I don't know, the late 90s or something, all those ghost shows came out where yes. people go on ghost hunts. And I mean, I think that's great. And I'm glad that people are taking, I like it when they take kind of a scientific approach to things mm-hmm. um, and try to, I mean, I, you know, it's kind of hard to, I mean, one of the things about you can't really replicate, I mean, ghosts are circus animals, but just to take an approach where you are writing down what you experience, you don't just go, my, okay, here's my thing. It's great to go on a ghost hunt. It's great to go on a paranormal um yeah, activity and stuff. But right. you need to take time afterwards uh, to reflect, digest your experience, write it down right away while it's fresh, and then uh, and that's part of the that you're going to get way more out of it if you uh-huh. do that if you write it down. And the reason is like things that I was on a, a ghost hunt a couple of months ago, and if I hadn't gone through and just listened to all the audio I had, I just had to take a quarter running, and I listened to 10 minutes of it every day, because it gets pretty tedious to sit yes, in the four yes. hours of, but I would just listen to 10 minutes, and you know, it kind of made it like, you know, you brush and floss your teeth, you listen to 10 minutes of audio, mm-hmm. and just to see, and what was interesting because of that, that's how I ended up discovering this doppelganger thing that it happened um wow i didn't i would not have noticed one of the i overheard uh at the start of the night because before while we were still setting up equipment uh i was with a actual you know teams that do it and they were setting up their equipment and i was staying out of the way okay <laughs> and uh and uh my first audio i caught i had audio going they had audio going and um one of them Mine, you don't hear anything. You hear me talking. I say, like, I just wonder if anybody's up here with me. But then you hear my voice singing afterwards on the tape recorder next to me. So there's two different tape recordings of the same exact moment. All right. So fast forward to later that night, you can hear another person on the thing going, hey, Tui, where are you? I'm like, I'm right here. So I was just to the right of me. He goes, wow, I just saw you. I can swear you were just over here. It looks exactly like you. I was wearing a hat and everything, yada, yada. We'll see if I hadn't. Um, gone through all my audio and listened to it and then written down the things that uh-huh. happened I would have missed that so you my getting back to what my soapbox is I see a lot of people I have friends they'll just go every weekend they're going to another haunted hotel or a haunted, haunted this or that sometimes they come back and they say oh nothing happened it wasn't it's yeah. well did you listen back to your audio because uh-huh. just because you did not observe it doesn't mean nothing happened. You just didn't notice it. It's yes. like you go out walking in the jungle and you think there aren't any animals there. Do you know how many animals saw you walk through the jungle? You were like, yes. well, their radar, just because mm-hmm. you're like, we're fairly unobservant humans. So we have to hone our own observational skills. We have to take the time to digest these experiences. So you do, and you will, you will see, but it's not like if you watch just on TV, of course they cut out all the boring parts. Yes, you don't realize it, you know, how sometimes gotta... nothing happens. <laughs> yeah. Or apparently and nothing happens. Yeah, apparently nothing happens. And and then if you don't take the time, which might, might seem tedious to you, to, but you can, you can make it so it's not. Like I said, I just listen to I don't bore myself to death on this. It takes me a while to go through everything, but I go through like 10 or 15 minutes while I'm so I can actually pay some attention mm-hmm. to it. That's when you find stuff. It's like panning for gold. You don't just go up and yes. look at a river and go, there's no gold in there. Yes. You have to have spent the time. So I think what I'm really trying to encourage people is to write down their experiences. And this, I'm like, did things still happen to me? Yeah, but the thing about it is I started to notice that um, I would remember the things that happened to me, 
but and has this ever happened to you? I was working in a dental office, and I mean, not that have you have you ever worked in a dental office? Yes, happy. Oh wow. Okay, no, I was working in a dental office, and it was in one of those ones where it was an old house that they had the dental office in. And I had weird things happen to me in the basement a few times there. I don't know what it is about basements and being oh, yeah. on it, but that's, that's a whole, whole other that's thing That's a there. whole different thing. We could go off on that, but I know what you Yeah, mean. we could. Yeah. That's a funny trail. I know I get all excited and go off on it. Okay, but my point here is that my coworker and I were upstairs, and I had to do a bunch of stuff on the computer. She was one room over. She had to do some filing or something, and we were not in each other's you know, earshot of each other. And mm-hmm. I'm really concentrating on what I'm doing. We'd closed for the night. It was all locked up, and we had about two hours of work to do. So I just, oh, I want to get this done. I want to get home. All of a sudden, I hear someone just go, Tui, like right in my ear, like mm-hmm. my name. You know, okay. Just, and it sounded like a man, but I'm like, was that my coworker who was a girl? I'm like, is that? So I go over to, you know, and I'm like, Christine or whatever. I, I go into her room, and her eyes are huge. Right when I walk in, she goes, did you just call me? And I'm like, no. And we compared notes. She goes, it sounded, but you sounded like a man. It was right in my ear. I'm like, okay, this is freaky, but uh-huh. let's just keep going. We want to get out of here. Well, it happened to us like three or four times more that evening. And we were just totally jumpy by the time we left um, the office. So that's all we could talk about. I rode home with her. That's all we could talk about the whole car ride home. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then we talked about it like once more. And then maybe three months later, I brought it up. I think we were at lunch. They go, oh, kind of like that weird whisper, weird man, Bratty's voice we were hearing that one night. And she's like, what breathy man's voice? She just didn't have any memory of it. Right. And I think it's because she didn't, you know, I went home and I wrote about it in my journal. So right. I, actually, she didn't remember it so much so that it actually made me question my own sanity. So I thought, so I ran home and I kind of paused through my journal. Sure enough, I'd written it up and uh-huh. a lot of detail. I'm like, okay, not you know crazy some ways, but that's not my insanity moment. And uh, right. it made me think, you know, if people aren't, I think if people, I call it the weird box. Like if you don't have a place in your brain to store unusual memories or yes. unusual things, we get, you just forget them. It just gets turned over by the daily stuff. The, the yes. So yeah, I'll just go ahead and remember all the normal stuff. I don't know where to put this memory. Chuck, those yeah. are the memories I try to keep. And I think people like you and me and people who are interested in this, yes. you know, we need to cultivate that. Even I will forget things if I haven't written them down. So I, that's why I decided to make a separate journal just for my uh, kind of woo-woo things and just to see. Because if we all do this, you know how like MUFON, the people who, who yes. research UFOs, they're, mm-hmm. they have databases and they have, if something happens, if I saw a UFO right now, yes. after we, I would call MUFON. But right. if I had something happen right now, who do I report that to? How does it get put into a database? Exactly. If we start making some sort of paranormal database, maybe we could go, you know, we could discover that. Did you know right. every March, paranormal activity spikes? Yes. I mean, why is right. that? We what, what was going on? data. Yeah, so that's that's a big thing I'm passionate well, no, about. Well, no, think... and you're absolutely right. You know, MUFON, you know, because, of course, their visibility, yeah, they, they, and they have ways for people just to, and they do, they do have... Uh, a They're bunch mass. of cases and they can look at it and say okay we got a cluster or in this area we got a co- bunch of calls of people calling in as a matter of fact a couple of weeks they had a sighting over there off the coast of oregon it wasn't well Ooh. it was a ufo in the sense of that it was a plane that they were saying didn't have a transponder none of the Ooh. stuff that usually airplanes have yeah uh that usually you know either you know where it, who or what it is and where it's going. It didn't have any of the above. Ah. They uh, scrambled some F-15s off hmm. to go, like, where is it? And then they couldn't say, find it. The military was all over oh, that. Oh, and they, I can't remember, oh. most of, some of the radar stuff couldn't pick it up. 
Somebody had called it in because they had a visual. Somebody on another plane, like a regular plane. When the F-15s go out there, they can't find it anywhere. Uh-huh. And a bunch of stuff happened around that time, around Oregon, like yeah. two weeks ago. And, I'm, and oh, I know what you're really? saying I'll as far as that people up. could say, well. I'm writing down Oregon right now, so I remember Oregon. Yeah. So I can... <laughs> and it was like, it was like that's, that's really weird. Like, what, that is weird. What's going on? Um, and mm-hmm. I mean, even some people that normally don't look at it from the UFO angle, mm-hmm. we're looking at it. Okay. Is there some type of threat? Is this some, uh, a plane from somewhere else that's able to invade yeah. our airspace and mm-hmm. then mm-hmm. our F-15s can't find it and all this. And I was like, okay, mm-hmm. that was really unusual. And a lot of people usually don't pay attention to those things. We're paying attention to it. But then at the same time I looked at, and there was a bunch of other, um, UFO sightings were what I mm-hmm. want to say. It was around Oregon. Uh, it was like a cluster of like two weeks. Oh, okay. Where mm-hmm. it just seemed there was a big spike in sightings of either lights oh, right. or things like that. And mm-hmm. I, so I know it, but in, the, in yeah. the sense of what you're saying, as far as a personal diary, I mean, I know there's things that I probably don't remember now. Uh, mm-hmm. But I know, especially when you go on these, whether it's a tour or cemetery or anything that I have found stuff after I've either looked at a tape or listened to yeah. something. I've been like, um, one time I was doing one where it was an investigation and I'm listening to where the audio and I heard a growl and I was like, what was Ooh. that? You know, and that's so that's creepy. I know that was like this. This is not anybody talking. Mm-hmm. Um, and I was like, I, you know, I ran it back like a million, but if you don't, but it's really short. Mm-hmm. If you're not paying attention, you just miss it. That's that was, another reason. I only do it for about 10 minutes or 10 to 15 yes, minutes. Yes. Because I you, have the stamina to pay attention and not glaze over and maybe I'll miss, you know, get yes, out. you, you kind of like, <laughs> uh, you lose the, and that thing about that you were saying about getting called. I remember one time I was going out to California. I was, uh, my son was stationed out there in the Navy, and I was driving a Jeep that I had that he had bought, but he bought it in Florida anyway. I was driving out to California, so a friend of mine staying with me, we end up up in North Florida, staying in this old house that had been turned into a bed and breakfast. Oh. But at one time, it had be, been like the town uh, funeral home. Because, you know, oh, back then, okay. people, people lived <laughs> sure. and basically had a funeral home all wrapped up in one. Yeah, and, uh, but that was had been years before. They'd make coffins and then they'd be the morgue at the same time. I mean, yeah, it was off. like one of those, you know. So mm-hmm. anyway, it was we were the only ones staying there, and they had left us the key. And the owner said, "Look, tomorrow in the morning, we're going to have a girl go in and cook breakfast for you. She'll be there around nine. Mm-hmm. Perfect. Mm-hmm. It's two story, like an old Victorian. So mm-hmm. I remember I was asleep. It was already morning. And you know when you're awake, but you're just lying in bed like, okay. Uh, and I'm, oh, you yeah. know, when you're doing like this laundry <laughs> list of things that I, I got to do when I get up. And all of a sudden, I hear a man's voice call me. Not scream or shout, but just call me and say, Marlene. That I stand up in bed and I looked at the doorway of the room like I just heard somebody call me. Yeah. My friend wasn't there. And I knew she was a smoker. And so you think, ah, yeah, she's not having a she, I, I was even, and first of all, her voice doesn't sound like a man's, but it was, mm-hmm. that know, when, was, I know, when, but you try to make sense of it. You think, well, maybe, you know what, when you're in a totally <laughs> quiet house that there's no noise mm-hmm. and you hear that, it's not like, oh, there was somebody downstairs or the TV, there was nothing. Yeah. And I remember she comes back in like a couple of minutes and I said, we're worried. She goes, oh, I was outside smoking because she was, you know, real careful about smoking <laughs> outside. 
Yeah. And I said, look what happened. And I, after that, I mean, I took a couple of pictures, but, you know, since we were passing through, and he was like, this was not a dream. I wasn't sleeping. Yeah. Okay. I distinctly heard a man's voice call my name to the point that I sat <laughs> up in bed thinking, who's in the house? And there's nobody there because it came from, like, the, you know, when you can even know, kind of know what direction it came from, from the doorway yeah. of the room. Yeah, yeah. And I was like, holy crap. And it called you, it called my name of all things. It's like, yeah. um, Yeah. But yeah, things like that. uh, Sometimes you get lucky and things happen like that. But then other times it's much more subtle where like what Mm -hmm. you're saying that if you don't take notes um, or something, you, you miss it. You, you know, your story reminded me of one thing that kind of triggered me to start writing about haunted places was in in this book. I was writing about uh, unexpected Texas. And it's about quirky, offbeat, and overlooked places. But I discovered that Texans can really tell a good ghost story. So as I would, <laughs> I would be, I, this was just supposed to be a road trip guide. But I would like, you know, we, my husband, a guy, we'd go to small towns that are historic. And like, we'd, you know, go by the, um, one of my favorite things is I'd look for the oldest person I could find, like find a mom and pop diner and talk to some cottage yes. who's sitting there drinking coffee. Or like the hardware store, the guy who's mm-hmm. just leaning it against the counter, not really buying stuff. And then they'd all, I'd be like, so what don't people know about your town? They're like, oh, well, they tell me some tip for another. And then they, then they inevitably would go like, did you hear about the haunted bridge? Uh, you know, or see, they like know that. all the I'd dirt go, about everything. I know. And then they, <laughs> yes. And so that's how I found out about this town, Jefferson, Texas, that yes. uh, is a really cool town. I love it. And um, Steven Spielberg is on record with uh, having a, a a, a paranormal experience at a hotel there. The okay. hotel isn't particularly fond of it for some reason. I don't know why. They should be. It's a really great hotel. So I won't name the hotel, but you can find it out pretty easily online. And I do mention it in my book because he did say it. He said that hotel and the hotel, the Stanley up in Colorado, you know, the, okay. the shiny. Right. He said those were the two haunted hotels he's ever stayed in. But this is the first one, I think, because this was back in the 70s. He was like scouting locations for a movie. Okay. And it's a really historic town. I could see why they would scout this town. And he got home, you know, or got to his hotel room kind of late at night. The whole crew is settling in. He kind of tosses his briefcase on a, a chair. And something, it, it bounces right back into his hand as if it were thrown, you know. But he thinks, I'm tired. Maybe it just bounced. So he, he just puts it on the floor and just gets into bed and goes, whatever, I've had a long day. He doesn't think much of it. He's just pulling up the covers and drifting off to sleep. When he hears, um, he opens his eyes and there's a, a little boy standing by his bed, who says, like, sir, are you ready for breakfast, sir? And that was it. He screamed, turned on the lights, gathered up his whole film crew, and they left the hotel at, like, 1 in the morning and went one town over and stayed at, I don't know, Budget Inn or whatever. But the next movie that he made after that was Poltergeist. So he got there a There you go. That's was, where he got his inspiration. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And it was like, you know, you at a hotel. I guess because you were mentioning you were going to have breakfast in the morning. I thought, oh, so much Steven Spielberg. You know what? It was with my same friend. I killed her. We, 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 since we were going out there, we were doing pit stops along. We, we stayed over at the Myrtles. Okay. Oh, and you know, wow, the Myrtles I'm has. Same thing. We're the only ones staying at the Myrtles. Okay. Oh. So they tell us, uh, you know, same thing because, you know, when you're, you know, when you're going to arrive a little bit late, they, they, yeah. you know, you call them and you tell them, look, I'm on the road and they'll leave you a key mm-hmm. and whatever. Yeah. So, and we're staying upstairs in what they call the judge's room, which is up the stairs. And they're right. We, okay, we get there. And there's, you know, there's a courtyard out in the back. 
And yeah. um, again, my friend's smoking <laughs> and I'm sitting out there with her <laughs> and it's right just as it's getting dark. And I'm sitting, they have, you know, those little iron rot, you know, chairs and stuff out there. And, yeah. And I'm sitting out there and I'm nice. like. I love sitting out on a porch and those old southern. And it was like, you know, especially when you spent the, the whole night. day driving. Oh, yeah. You're like, okay, I'm ready to like sit down and, and just like. And then all of a sudden. I'm Fan myself. yourself. Yeah. Like, oh, okay. <laughs> she's having her smoke. And I'm like sitting there and I'm like. And I'm thinking to myself. You know what? I have the distinct feeling somebody's staring at me. Ooh. And uh, mm-hmm. that, the way the back the back of the house is, you know, it has like that long portico that runs along oh, on the inside. Okay. The, mm-hmm. And it goes this way. When you go that way, it kind of recedes into shadows, even darker. Oh, oh I remember right. turning around and I'm like, I feel like somebody's looking at me. But yeah, that's, OK, mm-hmm. so we went in upstairs and we take in all our things and, you know, it's a nice room and. Well, let me tell you something. My friend wigged out so much. <laughs> I was ready to throttle her. <laughs> she, she, I don't know if it was because we were there alone. Uh, you know, and again, when you're alone, everything, you hear every noise, every little. Oh, yeah. She, there's, um, what is it? Was it a Days Inn or Best West? Something that's about two or three miles down the road from there. We had to leave no! and stay over there. Oh, I was so ready to kill her. And I was like, oh. she just got so wigged out. She was like, I and I was like, look, if there's something here, which it probably is, what's it going to do to us? I mean, what? The, we could get the mm, scared out of us? Okay, so. Exactly. <laughs> so we came back the next day. They were really pleasant. And we told them the story. Once. That's disappointing. It, I know. It is. I mean, because, yeah. And I never had a chance. I wanted to go back and actually spend the night there because it was like, to me, it was yeah. great. It was like, oh, God, nobody's here. And I think okay. that kind of played with her head a little bit like they're going to find because us all like, the next. The nice thing about nobody there is that if you hear a voice or something, you can't say yes. it was just a guest in room across the way. I mean, it's really a great opportunity. Oh. And you know what? They well, had that picture of the, of the guy <laughs> that the painting of the man that uh, wherever you walk. His just staring, uh, he tracks yeah. you. So I know I see her looking at the picture. And I'm like, you know what? She, she's getting too weak down with this. Oh, <laughs> but it was it was uh, it was a good experience. We still had fun no matter what. We still had fun. We went back the next day and everything. But and the point I'm trying to make is that a lot of these houses, they're great. But you also have to put like, um, how can I say? You can't let your imagination run away with you because then mm-hmm. you're so scared that you don't enjoy it. You, uh, yeah, you miss the the part where you actually hear or like, and like I tell everybody, supernatural is not an on demand thing, and a lot of times it's very subtle exactly. what it presents. Mm-hmm. And you made mm-hmm. a good point when you have a way to go back and go, hey, you know what? And then you start mm-hmm. thinking, wait a minute, was that the what it was? And then you are you have a way of checking mm-hmm. back and see, yeah, this yeah. is. Yeah, I like what... to compare it sometimes to bird watching. Mm-hmm. Because I have been, when I uh, first was researching my book, Paranormal Texas, on the show, again, <laughs> I'm having fun with <laughs> Paranormal Texas, oh, this is my travel guide to haunted places that you can actually Everybody, visit Everybody, yeah, I'm the first one, you, saw, I, you you heard what I just said, that's how I, I, I plan my routes, is like if I can mm-hmm. stop in on some place, sometimes it doesn't work out, but if I can w- go in and stay at some place that's got some type of reputation, I'm there, I am there. Yeah, so I didn't include places you can't visit, I hate reading about, oh, this place sounds great, a haunted hot dog stand. I'm going to go there, and then I read, oh, you know, they burned it to the ground. No one can visit. You know, it's like, right, oh, exactly. tell me about it. 
I actually did read about a haunted hot dog stand and that. Really? I was so bummed. I'm not particularly into hot dogs, but I would have made mm-hmm. an exception to go to that one. But no, I didn't. So yeah, I mean, I, you know, I went with a bunch of different paranormal teams, okay. and some of them were so noisy and rambunctious. I mean, the level of professionalism really that's what i learned that really varies so oh, there are a yes. couple teams that i oh, love yes. that are very professional and they have a yes. way of doing it where they have like a center of command and they mm-hmm. know where everybody is at all times and you go yes. in teams throughout and you never are like you know mm-hmm. i don't know where everybody is so if i hear a big thump maybe it was them you, you know they keep right. track of everything so, but I've been on some that were so rambunctious. People were running around. They're drinking Jack Daniels. You and know, it's and like, right. And that's the part. Tobacco. I'm like, why are you even here? I've been to slumber parties that were more, you know. Right. Like, forget it. You know, what's the use? What are you going to do an EVP? What are you going to do anything for? Mm-hmm. If all you're going to do is capture everybody around you. Running. It's, it's just a party. Run them up yes. in the dark where you're bumping into each other. And sometimes in Texas, they turn off the air conditioning. You know, so now running around sweating, people are, yeah, where is this? <laughs> ridiculous because they're like well we don't want the ac sounds oh yeah but get everybody else something around so yes. i mean yes i mean i really believe that people have to I've, I've been in that scenario <laughs> before because like i've i've been a freelance investigator like since the 90s and i used Ooh. to work with a well i still do uh with a research foundation in florida and if something was down in south florida they would contact me or if they were short on a on a member you know on a somebody yeah. a body in other words they would call me to do it so and other times i would work with other groups and uh i know exactly what you mean there were some that were really professional mm-hmm. and then there were others that it was like you don't get out much do you <laughs> and then they complain and then those groups the thing i noticed too the groups that are not organized and run around and making all sorts of noise then later on they complain oh that place isn't haunted i'm like yeah, really so that's why i complain it compared to bird watching i'm like it's like we all went to a nature preserve together and you're mm-hmm. running around you know with an air horn and you're like there aren't any birds here exactly like, yeah yeah unless they're deaf people. but I mean, yeah birds or people or ghosts or whatever right yes and you know what i've 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 talked to uh, a lot of paranormal groups that that that's one of the mm-hmm. things that we come up with and, I, and i've said it on some of my shows if you're a potential person that's looking for a group to join you know what? First thing, look for somebody who's been around for a while, okay? Because yeah. in my experience, a lot of them they dissolve within the first couple of years because because they exactly of what you're talking about. Uh, uh, look for somebody and that they and look at how professional they are. Do they have rules? You know, uh, do they expect you to behave a certain way? I go, if you're really serious about it, this is the kind of group you should look for to join. Uh, yeah, good point. Or vice versa, or if you've got, or if you're thinking of calling in a paranormal group, you know, look at how long they've been together and look, you know, do they show, have any standards when you speak to the person over the phone? How do they come across? Mm-hmm. Uh, just don't let yeah. anybody into your house for the sake of clearing up because you think you might have a paranormal or whatever going on. But I, I know, I know so well what you mean. <laughs> yeah, it was an eye opener. <laughs> yes, yes. And, uh, but it is what it is. And like I yeah. said, usually those groups, like maybe one, two years the most, after a while, they kind of like dissolve. Because in truth, if you really do some investigation, sometimes they're really boring because mm-hmm. nothing really like pops out and, you yeah. know, is in your face. And so you're mm-hmm. just there going a lot of times like, uh, is that running? Okay, so- the camera's running. Okay, good. Yeah. So, yeah, yeah and a lot of people, after you know? a couple of times, they're like, oh, like you just said, there's no ghost here. And then they kind of like, then they don't show up for investigations and things like that. So mm-hmm. I, I love that, like, you, that, that you put that book that, because like I said, I do that myself. If I can do a, a stopover in a haunted place, I love that. 
Um, and then did you have uh, other experiences yourself later on, whether someplace that you visited or you were living at? Oh, gosh, I've had lots. And um, in fact, I've, I've got, if you want to read about them, people can go to my website, tuisnyder.com, and I've got okay. some on there. I've also got some in, in different anthologies okay. that are uh, put out by Teal Gray. Uh, mm -hmm. There's one that just came out called Scared Senseless. Oh. And I talk about an experience I had with a, a painting that's kind of hard to explain. There's a lot that goes behind it. By the time we get to the point where the painting was being weird, there's a lot of backstory that explains it. Okay. And, uh, and I, yes, I had a coffee house for a couple of years, and I had some odd things happen there. And the nice thing about it was my customers would verify for me. So um, I, that... like in that book I was just talking about, I had something um, – there were on before spirited tales as well. Mm -hmm. This one, I, I have two stories that kind of dovetail. So I had my coffee house, and there was one week where I had it was like a, a neat coffee house. I had a little you know bookshelf over here, and people right. would do this or that at a couch and all this. Anyway, this one corner was dark um, all of a sudden, and I thought, well, do I need to change the light bulb? Light bulb was fine, but I just bought another light bulb, same you know brighter wattage. I okay. think I was trying to brighten it up. It was still dark over there. Well, there's a whole bunch of other stuff going on, which in retrospect, no wonder it was dark over there, but I uh -huh. you have to read the story to get to it. But um, people would notice it. People, I had people who, um, you know, totally didn't believe in, customers would come up and go, God, what's the deal with the corner over there? It's dark. I think you need to change light bulbs. Yeah, I just did. Oh, and all week long. So I, it's not just me thinking it's dark over there. Then I had some more like woo-woo people saying things to me. Um, People, you know, the lady from the metaphysical store coming down and going, honey, you know, you got some lower vibrational. I don't want to scare you, but I think there's something lower vibrational in that corner you need to take care of. Oh, well, <laughs> thanks for the latte. She walks out. I'm like, what does that mean? Because I'm in my 20s and I don't know, you know, it's not a lot out there. The books I read didn't really explain how to cleanse. So finally, a Native American lady comes in and she leaves me a smudge stick, a sage smudge okay. stick. And she's like, yeah. Yeah, here, you really need this. We can talk later, you know, because everyone grabs their coffee and they're going, but they're all over and over all week long and telling me something's going on in okay. the corner. I kind of know something's going on in the corner, but I also have a business to run and a, a kid yeah. to raise and things are nutty. So I'm like, you know, trying to ignore it. <laughs> yeah, no, <laughs> it, it, you know, life gets in the way, you know, that kind of It does. And I'm like, that's the last thing I got to pay my taxes. I got this and that. I got a health inspector coming, dark corner, who cares? Creepy feeling, whatever. I'm just not wanting to pay attention to it. It escalates to the point where... Uh, and, and, and over and over, people from all walks of life. And you know what? That's incredible. That, that just about, like you said, everybody, even whether they were metaphysically inclined or not, are noticing something about that corner. Yes. Very, okay. you know, people who would never, would roll their eyes at anything paranormal are saying, mm -hmm. you know, what's going on over there? Did you, what did you change over there? They're just mentioning, no, and I noticed too, no one's sitting over there all of a sudden, unless they're absolutely forced to. And then they, and then the people who are more sensitive or open to their sensitivity. I think everybody's sensitive, but the people who really are telling me it doesn't feel good over there. Um, so it finally gets to the point where I'm there on my day off and I'm doing my, my tax report thing. And I'm, I'm having, that was also my time own cup of coffee in peace and like then read a book for you know and write my journal for a little bit and then go home so I, i'm sitting there but i'm not sitting in that corner either and yeah. as i'm just then i thought well i'll write my journal i'm writing my journal and i got that feeling like someone's looking at me mm -hmm. and it was from that and it was like not a happy feeling looking at me it was not curiosity it was like i felt anger over there and i'm like that is yucky and i was getting more and more jumpy and i finally um i'll kind of speed it up i go into more detail and oh don't worry the about book, that but oh okay <laughs> 
well, I, I get worried. I had this friend who uh, was, you know, at this point, I, I was sort of, you know, I tried to approach things very skeptically. So um, I was not as open-minded, I guess, as I could have been. I just was like, I don't know. I, like I said, I didn't feel like I had the time to deal with it. I didn't know what to make of it. But I just felt something over there. I remembered that smudge stick, and I thought, oh, yeah, I've got yeah, that in my corner. I don't, I, don't know what, I don't know what you do with it. I don't even know how to use it or anything, but I had a friend who I figured would. And so I called her up, and she's like, oh, I'm so glad you called. I was thinking of you. I had a feeling. Or no, she called me. Yeah, the phone rings, and it was her. And I was so wow. glad. She goes, how is everything? Uh, it's not good. I'm kind of, I guess I could tell you this. I'm freaking out I'm, I'm about that. She goes, yeah, I had a feeling. So she and her boyfriend come over she they were an interesting pair he was like a mechanic by day and he <laughs> looks totally normal like nothing woo -woo, you know no not like some dude with uh -huh. a ponytail or like a pierced ear i mean uh -huh. he's very straight before just t-shirt and she's just kind of comes from this um she's more woo woo with like the you know the braided hair uh -huh. and the Celt celtic she's the wiccan pagan goddess -y lady yeah he's like he's like, he's like oh, i'm the mechanic <laughs> but they bet each other and I, they just fell in love, and it was the weirdest thing. So then I, I, I discovered from her that he has this incredible Reiki ability. Where wow. You know how people do Reiki? And, and yes. um, when he did Reiki on someone, I swear, if someone does not believe in Reiki, they needed to have him come and put their hands over their head. It felt like you were getting, you could feel it. Everyone could feel it. It felt like mega tingling. He was just very low-key about it. He was very... He'd been raised in a very strict Christian family, mm -hmm. but I've never felt anybody who had that much energy coming off their hands at will. Right. Isn't that incredible? Really? So anyway, um, they both came and they were like, oh yeah, we've noticed that corner for a while. We just didn't want to bother you. We knew you were going to be a lot this week, but I guess it's escalated. So they come over and they teach me how to use a smudge stick. And they smudge the corner and we go around and they're doing, saying things differently. And I'm, I was telling them, yeah, but this is this Native American. And here I'm this, you know, little white girl, you know, what am I, am I, am I culturally appropriating? They're like, all right, who gave this to you? I'm like, a Native American lady. It's like, okay, yeah. she and, wants you to use okay. it. <laughs> they're like, this is a tool. It's called a tool. Like, you know, she's a, you play the clarinet, right? Do you, you know, or things that you do. I mean. You're not culturally appropriating wherever that came from, no, are you? No, on the contrary. <laughs> they they kind of no. caught on that this works. <laughs> yeah, they said, this is a tool. And so they got it all cleared, and I followed them around. And um, Oh, another thing that happened before they got there, this dish of forks just fell into the middle of my kitchen. I didn't see it happen, Ooh. but that is what had me jumping out of my skin. And so that's what gets me. That is like the most simple thing in the world. Oh, some forks fell onto the floor. You know what? When something simple and weird like that happens, it can make you so jumpy. So that's when, and then the phone rang, and I was just like, oh, the forks fell, the phone rang. I'm all like, oh, come and help me. So everything calmed down, and suddenly I noticed it was brighter in, in the coffee house. It finally brightened up. And I'm like, great, thanks, guys. And they're like, yeah. oh, you're not off the hook, girl. you got to do this yourself every week because you get all sorts of energy. I'm like, what? No, mm -hmm. can't you guys come in and do this? No, you know, grow up. You've got to clean yeah. the space. I'm like, really? And so that was... Um, I mean, I'd like to say that, oh, ever since then, I was so good, and I always clean every spot so thoroughly. You know, once a week, I smudge. No, this is one of those lessons I've had to learn over and over. Yes. Um, occasionally, I will really slack off again, and I won't, um, you know, clean a, clean a space. And, like, when my, my mother-in-law died, I helped clean out her house. In fact, because the guys, her sons were just all paralyzed with grief, so I handled mm -hmm. all sorts of her stuff. That okay. I did all up. Now, some of her stuff included 
ancient Egyptian artifacts. Really? They had traveled the world. Including oh, wow. A, a mummy's head, a 2,000 year old mummy's head, which I didn't <laughs> even want to touch. You know? Oh, yeah. Wow. But, so there's all sorts of stuff. So I handle all that. Well, we come home from New York after dealing with that, and I, I suddenly am sick. I kind of have this weird, vague, I'm waking up with a cold sweat, and I have a mild fever, and I feel just my neck yeah. hurts, and I feel, I feel like I'm kind of. My posture's weird. Like, I'll just catch myself in this weird posture a lot. I mean, I wasn't quite like that. I'm overdoing it. I wasn't walking around. Right, no, I know. But you, you're at some point, you kind of like, what's up? Well, I was really dense. (laughs) But my my friend came to visit. And the minute she walked in the door, she's like, oh, hey, what's been going on? And I tell her, she's like, hmm, yeah, did you bring anything home from your mother-in-law's place? Oh, yeah, she gave me these tiki mugs, because I love tiki stuff, and this Irish tablecloth. You know, I mean, she'd left them for me. Right. And she goes, mm-hmm, yeah, that's not all you brought, honey. I'm like, what? She was sucky. I'm like, what? She was, how are you feeling lately? I'm like, because she, she just picked up on it. My friend's very sensitive. She's picked up on it instantly. Uh-huh. We cleansed, got rid of it, and suddenly I was like, oh, I feel like you just gave me a chiropractic adjustment. My temperature, I had a doctor's appointment scheduled because oh, I was having those. I didn't have it to schedule it. So I was like, oh, you know, but I've slapped off on the old, you know, and then you think spiritual who, hygiene. Who, would, who was the culprit? But like you said, you handled all the stuff she, from all over the she world. Told me, yeah. And she, I wanted to. I said, I want to know more about it. And she said, no, no, you don't. You don't. Don't engage. Don't give it any energy. See, mm-hmm. my curiosity is like, oh, I want to know exactly if I've got a boogie. I want to know its right, name. Right. Exactly. Goes, no, you don't. Because then you give it more of your energy. Then you give it more entrance into your life. Then you give it like, yes. permission to bug you. And I'm like, oh, well, that kind of sucks. It's kind of like the whole, you know, in Harry Potter, Voldemort. You don't say his name. <laughs> I know. You know what? And then, and and (laughs) that's what um, a lot of people don't really, I mean, because I'm the first one. I'm -hmm. I'm like you. I'm curious sometimes. Like, I want to know what is it, where it come from, why is it here, why, 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 or how, 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 or Mm -hmm. who, 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 who. And um, I understand, though, that sometimes just letting it, like ignoring it and it kind of like dissipates on its own, goes elsewhere, whatever, yeah. wherever, whatever the case might be. Mm-hmm. A lot less headache for you because it's almost like, it's almost like once, um, I don't know, uh, I don't know if you ever uh, read that that uh, series from Dean Koontz called um, Odd Thomas. And no, I didn't. It, the main guy, he's written like five or six. He's, mm-hmm. he's psychic. He can see. He can see dead people. He sees Elvis. He sees Sinatra. But one of the things he can see is wherever there's going to be some type of major catastrophe with a lot of deaths, he sees these black. They're not shadow people, but they're blackish, like they're creatures. And one of the things he always says was, I never let them know that I can see them. Yeah. Because once they're aware that I could see them, then it's like the jig is up. It calls you know, attention words, to yourself, I guess. Yeah. Right. Mm-hmm. In other words, it, it's the same thing where sometimes you're just better off not engaging with it because yeah. then what happens is they become aware of you because like, oh, she's aware of me. She sees me. Mm-hmm. She's trying to fuel the fire. So, yeah, I totally agree with that. Your friends are... Uh, Instructions yeah. like let it go, let it go. You can live without knowing about it. 
Yeah, I just I'm like, okay, I've got enough things that I can research. I love researching things. I'm like, okay, mm-hmm. I will research other things. My <laughs> home yes, as well. Exactly. You know, concentrate on what you want to grow. <laughs> so maybe I'll look up someone. You, you know, know, sometimes I go with like curiosity. What was that? Curiosity <clears throat> killed the cat. But satisfaction brought it the back. Brack. I know. <laughs> yeah, I can tell you. We, we are liking that. So how did yeah. you, when that book that you wrote about the cemetery symbols, which I think mm-hmm. is, like I said, because of, of all the cemeteries, how did you decide oh, to write that book? <laughs> oh, yeah. So, well, a few things uh, um, got me to write this. So here's the one, Understanding mm-hmm. Cemetery Symbols. Yes. It's a pretty basic title because I want people who are, you know, these days you search, oh, gee, I want to understand cemetery symbols. I want you to find my book. Mm-hmm. Because, uh, yeah, so like I mentioned, I do love research and researching, and, and I do love cemeteries. I mean, I've okay. loved them since I was a kid. I actually, when I was nine years old, um, this creepy dude tried to, janitor, tried to kidnap my friend and I. He locked us in a room, this and that, and we, uh, yeah. Are you serious? I am. Oh my God. mm -hmm. Yes. And we got away uh, because, you know, well, anyway, long story short, he, it was supposed to be a Girl Scout meeting that day. We didn't know it was canceled. So we showed up at the church and no one was there. And this dude, he's all nice. And he leads us into this back room. And we suddenly realized we can't get out, that he <laughs> is keeping us in. So we um, climb up. It was a bit of a jump for a nine-year-old still, but we made it out. And we were walking home. We were like, well, that was weird. Why did he lock us in that room? You know, why did he want to kidnap us? He pulls up in his car. And we managed to escape by... Uh, running across the street into the graveyard and, and we knew this graveyard so well because we played there a lot so we knew exactly how to zigzag through right it. and if we had zigzagged through it and then we got to a path in the woods and we got home you know that led us out and right. he wasn't able but we could hear he was chasing it come back girls come back oh he and went he in there bummed. after you guys yeah oh he, my he went god in car, oh, we, i would have and then he got out of the car and started chasing us, and we were running. And luckily, we knew it so well. We weren't tripping or falling because we had played tag, we right. played chase, and we had all sorts of games. We played vampire. We had all these different mm-hmm. games in there. Uh, that was one of our favorite places to play because it just fired our imagination. And it was pretty. It was a historic grave. Uh-huh. Yeah. Well, thank goodness, because if it had been what, a modern one that you could go over, he could have caught us. I don't know what would have happened. And our parents didn't believe us. <laughs> so yeah so i have a, i know i want to visit that cemetery again that's up in virginia let me ask you wait I, you're t- <laughs> did you t- did you tell your parents they didn't believe you guys or what happened they didn't believe us Mm-mm. she and i this one girl i mean we, we would get in trouble sometimes because she was a little bit more oh of a my god than me. But, let me ask you but yeah they didn't they didn't believe us Mm-mm. so nowadays i think they would but you know i think there's more awareness now <laughs> but, you know, whatever, but that is let me tell you something us. that must have been such this is like straight out of a horror film you got the monster as in the real one Mm -hmm. chasing you holy crap you know it really even to this day i mean i i've never i always wear shoes that i can run in like i don't like to wear shoes that i don't think i could just take off running i mean now i'll wear shoes maybe a little like if i'm on a date with my husband maybe not so running but but for years i mean i was like forget it i just was like i want to be able to take off running if i need to and when i sit in a restaurant or something i like i like to look see where the escape routes are you know i mean because we had to escape we had to use our wits and the adults didn't believe us so let me tell you something some i would have things as a kid i probably would have worn sneakers just about for everything <laughs> I mean, yeah, it, be like, I, I, 
I was so glad that we, uh, you know, had our wits about us to get away. We were, to us, it was like, wow, that was, I remember saying, wow, that was like a Disney movie. We, we, we escaped from a bad guy. We, we were really impressed with ourselves. Yeah, you know what? And it's like the innocence of a kid that you kind of like, sometimes even though you ran away from the danger, you kind of also underestimate or unaware of just. I look, yeah, when I had a daughter of my own, you know, my stepdaughter, I look back and I'm like, whoa, you know, <laughs> man, yeah. I I would have gone over to that church and, you know, read him the riot act. But for whatever but it makes you reason, wonder, you know, you know I, I had this guy done this before? Did he ever do there. it again? I, I take it you guys never went back over there again. No, we moved away shortly after. It was like a lot going on in my family right about then. And we ended up moving to Washington State shortly after. And you were like, okay. But I never, you know, it always made me a little nervous of janitors. I mean, you know, and like um, just being alone with an adult. I just kind of was like, you know, from and that you know point what? on, like... It I'm was, ready to flee, you know, flee. I'm going to, how can I, where's the escape route? I would take you know it what? after that. And this is the thing, you know, yeah, you know, we teach kids to be careful with strangers, but, mm-hmm. you know, somebody that does janitorial work, you really don't see him as a stranger per se. No. Uh, he's usually in the background because he's got an excuse to be there because he's cleaning, you know. So. He's a trusted person with lots of keys. Well, he, it's. We told us, oh, girls, they moved the, the meeting down to here, to this room. Right. And then all of a sudden he's, you know, locking us in there. And we realize this is just not good. And he's like, no, no, just stay. And I'm like, no. <laughs> and I well, you know, that thank God you guys creepy. had your wits about you. And, you know, self-preservation <laughs> kicked in. But it's like yeah. same thing, you know. And, and for kids, you're thinking, okay, if the adults have given him a job, like you said, he's got the keys. <laughs> so I guess I he's, okay. Huh? he's okay. He told us he knows what's going on. Oh, okay. We we forgot, you know, we're kids. Oh, my God, Tui, that, what but, a yeah. story. <laughs> so, God. graveyards and me, we go back. <laughs> that is yeah. incredible. And I'm it glad you turned scary. out with a happy ending for you guys. I really am. Yes. You were yes. smart girls. You guys, like, that's it. We're <laughs> out of here. Yeah. I wonder, so, you know what? I wonder, I'm because, I'll see, I'm doing the, I wonder if this guy, like, left town. Like, think, I wonder if they're going to go home and tell their parents, let me get the heck out of dodge before i don't know you know, you know i because... know he had kind of a swedish accent i remember I, yeah this is one of those things i mean yeah yeah he was really nice to us at first and oh yeah of course fine. and then all of a sudden we realized look he's trapped us here and we just had this moment where we looked at each other and we realized we got to get out and like the window and he luckily he was you know across the room enough that we could get that window pried up enough and climb out i mean it was just all it could have gone such you know what? Way. That we could have really had lucky. a really bad ending, uh, unfortunately. He was making a phone call to somebody, too, which, so I don't know what was up. I mean, was he going to sell it? I mean, I look back, and I'm like, God, that just could have been so bad. And I you don't know what? Know, he could have been calling an accomplice. He could have been like, or Maybe. like what you said, uh, hey, you know. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. That's what I'm I saying. That know. could have been turned out to have a really horrible end. Yeah. Yeah. So anyway. It's such a good story after the fact, but it's such a good story. Yes, after the fact. And at the time, it was just, you know, I, the, the, I don't know, whatever. But it did have a lasting impression. And, and my friend, I, my parents, um, well, we weren't allowed to play with each other anymore. Our parents were so mad at us. Really? For that. Yes, it was a, wow. quite of a weird thing. But um, so I don't know, whatever. I'd love to find her, track her down and find out if she, you know. What and became? then I just, we moved, we split town, a, you know, a few weeks yeah, later. Yeah, yeah, we yeah. So it wasn't like. I right, know. Really when to... you're a kid, you got no choice. Your family moves out of town. What are you gonna do? You gotta go. And, yeah. So. And like you said, it's know. not like now you got social media and other ways that you can communicate mm-hmm. with a person. That's it. Once you're out of town, you lose touch with everybody. 
-hmm. especially if you're a child. And, you know, yeah, and it's just like, okay, new chapter, new beginning. I'm moving to Washington State. It's kind of different from Virginia, that's for sure. But, uh, but yeah, so that was one. I just always, to me, I think graveyards and cemeteries are just refuges. And I think a, a thing that I really want people to get from my book and to understand, or one thing that I'm out to promote, is that uh, we mistakenly, and, and it's because of Hollywood and mm -hmm. our idea of what a, a cemetery is and what it's become, now, um, what it's become in modern days, it's just become a place where you take a dead person, you tuck them in the ground, or you toss their ashes, and then you go. Mm -hmm. You don't go back. Um, but they used to be, like in the 1800s, and even going back to Greek times, it's a it's a time-honored tradition to have a picnic in the cemetery. Right, they were like to, parks, right? Um, spend, yes, they were. They were garden cemeteries of America and Europe, they were meant to be places you would go. They were actually America's first national, I mean, not national park, first public parks. They didn't okay. have public parks in cities. Um, they had, what they had were, I should tell you, there's a difference between a graveyard and a cemetery. A graveyard, if you want to be technical, I use the words interchangeably, but if you wanted, you know, you were on Jeopardy or something, you had to know the difference. A graveyard is when it, uh, people are buried around a church. Okay. And that was what the they're, that's how it kind of began. If you were, unless you were living out in, in the countryside, but if you lived in the city, especially, and, and in the country, you know, you, you'd be great, buried around a church. So that's a graveyard. Mm -hmm. A cemetery, it comes from a Greek word. I think it's koimetrion, which means a place to sleep, like a, a sleeping chamber. Okay. And that came along with the Victorian era because they liked the whole euphemism of sleep for death. And cemeteries are land that's just been put aside to bury people, not necessarily attached to a church. Okay. So what happened in the, by the 1800s, if you start burying people around the little churchyard, you've only got so much room until exactly. you just start burying them on top of each other. Mm -hmm. And, you know, there's coveted spaces, um, especially some of these traditions came across the pond with us when the European settlers came mm -hmm. to America. But there would be the north side of the church might have been for like suicides and, and you know, the, the bad people, you know, quote unquote, you know, less unholy people. There was like a pecking order, the east side of the church, because you wanted to face east on Judgment Day might be a um, more coveted spot. Wow. But, but I'm kind of getting it ahead of myself here or behind myself or whatever i'm getting off the topic okay, well no no but you know what that's interesting because that's stuff that mm -hmm. people don't realize that people cared about i guess back then mm -hmm. yeah they really did oh it's really fascinating so uh so at one point in the 1800s um it started to happen that these these graveyards were so overcrowded that let's say there was a big flood or a big storm or just the wall would weaken the church wall would weaken and collapse spilling corpses into the wow. streets. Yeah, and even then, although they didn't understand germs to the degree we do, they knew this was a health hazard. Plus, it's horrifying to see. Mm -hmm. uh, did not smell good or look good or sure. yuck. So what are we going to do? Well, uh, in America, we looked to see what they were doing in Europe because they were having the same problem in Europe. In Europe, like in Paris, there are these huge catacombs yeah. where they, all these bodies, you know, that they just kind of turned into skeletons and stacked neatly down below the street because they were running out of room in the city area. So some person had a very smart idea. Let's make a cemetery outside of the city uh, limits where it'll be a nice, like a sculpture park where people mm -hmm. can go and visit and, and like, so now that's why they created Père Lachaise, which is really still to this day a top tourist destination. I haven't been, I need to go to Père 
Perilous Chez. But um, okay. lots of famous people are buried there. Uh huh. Yeah. Jim Morrison, and and it's just gorgeous. Every photo I've ever seen of it. You know, there's really opulent statues. So, what they did in um, Massachusetts, they did the same thing. The people of Boston, they thought, ah, we're having this overcrowding in the city. Let's make a cemetery, a garden cemetery. So they okay. created Mount Auburn Garden Cemetery. I think it was 1831, right around there. And it became a very popular destination for city dwellers. Let's go out for the weekend. They would have carriage races. They would even shoot game. Kids could run around. Right. Um, artists would set up their easels. Ladies could stroll. And you had this beautiful monument, cemetery monuments. And during the Victorian era, uh, really gorgeous monuments kind of became the the thing. And it, as we I think what I were talking about before before this interview started, this was really the heyday for cemetery symbols. It was during the Victorian era, so mm-hmm. you see these really glorious symbols. Um, so, yeah, so that was just, uh, so when people, my thought, I so we still have these. So America has a lot of um, garden cemeteries, and then places that don't have the fancy garden cemeteries, there's beautiful rural cemeteries all throughout Texas. We have a lot of gorgeous rural ones. These ones are a little different. They usually have... Even today, some of them still have a homecoming day or a decoration day right. where you will come and, and clean up. Yes, I know. Like, I, I've seen... You will go to this cemetery. Isn't mm-hmm. that neat? And off in the corner, you might see a barbecue. You know, barbecue is such a big thing. I've been in cemeteries on the Texas. Yeah. I love it. I'll see a barbecue. I always go and lift the lid. And I'm like, yeah, they've been using this thing, you know? Yeah. Because they're... And, mm, Back then, it wasn't I, what people think of as being morbid. It was like, mm-hmm. like you said, you're going to spend a day yeah. and it's a beautiful park and dead yeah, people just happen to be buried it, there. Well, People forget. So now we have forgotten. This is what we've forgotten. Cemeteries are for the living. Hello. Mm -hmm. Yes, you put your dead there, but they are a cemetery is for the living. It's for us. It's for us humans. But what's cool is also now because of some of these older places, like if they've been around since 1830 or before, um, they have heritage plants and bulbs. So people are into old old antique roses and things you won't find in a catalog now um so some of these a lot of these um these garden cemeteries they have they have uh, got arboretum status now because they are like a living library you can go through uh-huh. there and see plants and animals that you it, it provides a great uh when i was younger i used to think oh what a waste of land you know a cemetery you know, when I went uh, yeah, to started to think that. <laughs> and then but now I don't think, yeah, at 18, you think a lot of, you know, ah, things. That's one of my thoughts I remember having at one point. Now I think, what a great use of land, cemeteries. Yeah. They yeah. keep ugly buildings. You know, you, if, if you want to see, um, take some photos without a bunch of power lines in your way. Yes. If you want to see, uh, in Texas, people always love to go out in the springtime and take pictures in sitting around the blue bonnets. But they do it on the side of the highway. Mm-hmm. And it's not very nice. You go to a historic cemetery, sit amongst the blue bonnets there, and it's just so much nicer. So that was a big impetus for me to write this book, was just to, to kind of reestablish the fact that it's a time-honored tradition to enjoy a cemetery, and that they are for the living, and there's nothing wrong about going there. It's almost taboo for people. They they just oh, bury yeah. someone. You're sad to get it, but but you don't have to be mourning to go there. You don't have to be sad to go to a cemetery. Exactly. It can be a Mm-hmm. And I know well, and, fired, and, <laughs> and it's like what you what we were talking about. When I go into cemetery now, especially if it's still open and it's accepting like burials, you know where the older part is because the monuments change. Yeah. Okay. Mm-hmm. In the newer part, you've got either flat ones or maybe some that are maybe three feet tall, a little bit. Mm-hmm. Once you look in the older, is when you start seeing the big monuments, the mausoleums, the family mausoleums. You yeah. can tell right away where the older part of the cemetery is at. And generally, it's from 
after, you can tell when the Great Depression was. So kind of from the 1930s and before, mm -hmm. because during the Great Depression, people had to travel far away to find work. So yeah. before that, people in America were more likely to live in their central family groups. And mm -hmm. you're born in Virginia, you die in Virginia, you have your family plot, you know exactly where you're going to be. And that little family plot, which you'll see in those historic ones, yes. and you see the line around it. Well, that's also to let you know exactly what part of the ground you need to tend. So you take care of that, you plant all your plants there, you do whatever mm -hmm. you want there. And then, you know, the next family over knows exactly where they can go. But when after people were moving away to find work, and there was no one to come back and tend their family plots. They had to turn to perpetual care. And right. um, and then also lawn grasses were developed. The lawnmower came along and you know, things like that. And so they thought, let's just plant them in grass and make it easy so that we can hire someone just to mow over it. And that'll yes. be perpetual care. So it's, you know, that shift. There still are some cool cemeteries, newer ones that... That, that still have nice monuments um, going up and, and allow people to more freedom because a lot of them, they just don't, people say, well, why don't people put up interesting uh, monuments right. anymore? And they just have those flat ones that maybe mm -hmm. aren't as interesting. Well, it's because the rules say, it's like a yeah. homeowners association, you know, no, you can't have that. But certain one burial areas, burial grounds will allow that. And those are the ones that I love. And I think, you know, they're most interesting. And that's why, I mean, you know, I got that whole book of symbols. It's fun to figure out what to, those truly are messages from the dead. What were they trying to see? What were they trying to tell you? And the right. more I learn about them, the more when I go through a historic cemetery, the more I, I see. Like I, a cemetery that I used to think, well, there's not a lot to see in the cemetery. Now, the more I learn about symbols, I go through and, oh, hey, this, they've got this and going you, on. They've got that one, and it brings it to life. Well, and this is the thing, because let's face it, you have only X amount of space sometimes to put whatever mm -hmm. it was that you wanted to say about this person, you know, especially mm -hmm. if they were well-loved for whatever reason. Yes. Uh, so, yeah, it was sometimes it was just easier, I imagine, to do with a symbol versus writing out this well, paragraph. That's, that's the beauty of a symbol. They are, yeah. you know, the old cliche, a picture is worth a thousand words. But the thing is, you mentioned people um, choosing, that's more a modern take. Like nowadays, um, you know, I die, and then my friend's trying to decide what symbols to put on. But um, 100 years ago, and so when I read about people, mm -hmm. um, our ancestors, they were planning their own epitaphs, and they took this quite seriously. So they would yeah. be doing this in their 20s and 30s. And so right. if, if I were a wealthy blacksmith and I started to make some money, I'd be thinking, you know, I think I ought to make a nice family monument. What do you think, you know, my wife or my husband, you know? Right. Um, <laughs> let's, and then they, the family would plan it together. And so I'd read that, oh, their monument was completed, you know, 12 years before anyone actually passed away. But they would, uh, and some of you, so they even had a catalog for uh, one of my favorite kind of monuments are they're called white bronze. Okay. But they're all, um, they, they did that because it made it sound exciting, white bronze kind of made it sound classier. It's actually a zinc alloy. Mm -hmm. And um, they were put out by the, um, the Connecticut, uh, what is it, the Connecticut Monument Company, Bridgeport Connecticut Monument Company. And you'll see them on, you'll see like an obelisk. Sometimes, okay. And it'll have panels around the side. And people would pick these out of a catalog and order them. Okay. And uh, they've held up really well over time. They're beautiful, gorgeous uh, monuments. And uh, so, yeah, those are some of my favorites. Kind right, of because on, on some of those obelisks, it's exactly like on one side, you'll have the memorial for one family member. Ooh. And then as you go around it at the base, it has a memorial for different members, you know, like. Yeah. And this is like that family um, 
memorial per se. And if you tap on it, it's metal. It's probably white bronze. And it, okay. And you might, you'll probably see on there, sometimes you'll see a little thing that says Bridgeport, Connecticut, oh, okay. Monumental Bronze Company on it. Yeah, you got it. And tap on it, and they'll sound hollow. And they're very wow. well... Uh, they went out of business after World War One because the war effort needed the zinc. Oh, for okay. Armaments. There you go. The war got in the way. But but up until that, it was really they're really and they you have know really what I up nicely. I think stuff and um, you know I, I I mean lately I've gone to some cemeteries where people nowadays some of these memorials are really expensive, and yeah. I've seen where families have made their own version yeah. of a memorial like i went to i went to one cemetery up in central florida it's an it's a smaller rural cemetery huh? and they had put the guy's saddle there on oh, as part wow. of his of, you know it was great it was they did it That's really cool. really nice and it was oh, like personality I guess, right yeah it's more personalized and i could see uh -huh. you know what this speaks more than you know some of these it tells you a lot i saw one that had a barrel on it because the yes. person was a barrel rider i'm like what and then you go up and then i thought there's a lasso and other stuff and i realized yes. oh a championship rider you know it was kind of cool yes uh, they, the people are taking it their own their own personal touch you know i think yeah. between personalization and cost less that's why they're going but you mm. mentioned something earlier to which is because I, that's my that you said look for certain graves sometimes that are different that there was because we were talking about sometimes when people if they were objectionable whether because of who they were or what they did they kind of like if you were allowed to be buried in the cemetery they kind of like put you off or somehow made you look like that there's something wrong with that person and you were saying something about mm -hmm. even the way uh, if certain graves are facing all in one direction but you have one that's not yeah Keep an eye out. That's one thing to sort of when you're walking, just something else to keep in mind when you're, you know, going, walking through a historic graveyard is or cemetery, pay attention to what direction the headstones are facing. So if there seems, you know, some, it, it really is varies. There's cultural reasons mm -hmm. and there are a lot of times, you know, this is not, so it's not, I like to say just because um, it's, it's written in stone doesn't mean it's written in stone. I mean, you have to right. take a lot of these things with a grain of salt. I wrote like what different symbols mean, but I tell people to take up pay attention to the context okay. um, because the same symbol the same symbol can mean something different are you in a jewish cemetery are you in a christian cemetery right. a good example of that is a picture so you see not like a picture but like a, a picture you pour water if you're in a jewish cemetery and someone's um, headstone has a picture on it mm -hmm. that means they descended from the tribe of levi because wow. the levites washed the priest's hands with water wow see you know neat but if you're in a Christian cemetery and you see a picture, um, that is that's a really fun one. That's someone you probably want to look up because they put that on the grave of a of a really righteous woman. So a woman who really was, was very yeah yeah. Okay, that's interesting. In fact, in fact, she might have check her dates on her. She might have even been involved in the pro uh, prohibition movement. Mm -hmm. She might have been a teetotaler. Yes. Um, so wow, a teetotaler. Uh... Yes. She, maybe she was an axe wielding, you know, carry nation. Father. Yeah. I mean, that's some of, like, if you see that it, it'll say something, usually the epitaph on there will be too. Like she gave her life for others and was really, you know, like, whoa, this person that was is you know, so practically a martyr. Interesting. Um, so those, just pay attention to where you that. are. When I say that, like pay attention to where you are culturally and the time. Yeah. Yeah. Because like, like oh, said... what did she live during prohibition? You know, that, so there's so many clues, so many layers. Oh, I'm in the Christian section. Oh, this, she died during, you know, in the forties. So she was alive during prohibition. She, you know, um, this or that. It was a female, you know, you kind of can, it's fun to puzzle it all together and see what you can find. 
Um, but yes, so then, like, pay attention to see how, okay, everybody's headstones, they seem to be facing east, because they want to be facing east on Judgment Day. Now, right. sometimes, um, they'll be, one will be facing the other way, west, and that uh -huh. might, sometimes, I have seen this, um, that can be that it's a minister, and he wants to be facing his flock. So, you know, oh, Judgment Day comes, okay, he wants okay. to lead all his... So it's not really like there's in like he did something bad, but the thing to look for is, is just I mean, but that's still an interesting story. So if, you, if everybody's yes. facing this way, and then one's facing a different way from everybody, or they're just off in an unkempt area, that one too is like, okay, what happened there? That's yeah. the potter's field. But if they got a, enough to have a monument, what's the deal? Are they sometimes that's the criminals, sometimes yes. um, that is someone who was ostracized in life for some reason. Mm -hmm. You know, everyone thought they were a witch. You know, there's might yeah. be some interesting story behind them, sad story perhaps, or just why why were they because yeah, even in death, we do kind of, people can be very uh, cliquish, I guess, for yeah. like a word, a better word, you know. So those are ones, when you're walking around an old cemetery and trying to figure out which one you want to research more, you know, those are, those probably have stories behind them. Right, so yeah, it was like I the good Christian folks said, we'll bury this person, but we're not happy about it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, well, uh-huh, uh-huh, yeah, in fact, they, they would even go so far as, I know at least in Europe, um, around the, the uh, in the graveyard, if you committed suicide or were some other, you know, had some other blight on your character, in their opinion, right. um, rather than bring you through the graveyard gates, they right. would pass your body over the north side of the graveyard fence. Really? As a way to express, you know, there are a lot of ways to express that you yeah. were just less than kosher, in their opinion, or you know, less than... I don't know. You were not of upstanding character in their mind. Right. <laughs> so and that's what we were talking about. That people don't realize that back then, people really cared about that. It was like disapproval even after you're dead. It's oh, you know what people really cared about too. That always surprises people. I love because I I give talks and I love giving talks about cemetery symbols. And one thing that will bring gasps from the audience sometimes, <laughs> or a couple of them will. Um, two things actually, pretty much. But um, let's say you or I were on vacationing in some town and uh, we died. Okay. And they just found us there on the street. We just dropped dead on the street. Um, if, back then, you didn't really have ID a lot of times. Mm -hmm. And uh, not like we do now. So if you, if you did kinfolk, no one knew who you were. They would just set you in a chair in the, usually in the, the window of the furniture store and leave you there in a chair, your dead body, and hope someone would recognize you as you passed Oh, by. my God. <laughs> <laughs> that's, that's incredible jeez <laughs> I know but I've read about that enough now that I'm kind of like oh okay but I love you know uh, so I, I forget because I do a lot of research and then I mention that to the crowd and I'm like oh and I'm like oh yeah that's right I remember I was pretty freaked out when I heard that too <laughs> I know because and, you think god that what but you know gets, what I know there's also practical or worse I don't know Go I ahead. mean because if you think because you know you always think of that like you know you look at the westerns you know when they would kill the criminals and they, they would put them uh -huh. in the pine boxes out in front of the saloon so hey we killed them watch but I had never yeah. heard of that but I know there's always a practical aspect to it and I think mm -hmm. some of the times is besides the fact that they want somebody to come in so that the townspeople don't have to bury this unknown person because yeah 
It costs well, money. Well, and sometimes you, I would read about that. Okay, so a lot of times it was a furniture store because a lot of times the furniture store was also the place that made coffins. If you didn't make your own, a lot of people made their own coffins. Right. And then they'd set them in the corner and use them as bookshelves. <laughs> you know, I mean, this oh is my a God. normal person. That, this isn't nowadays if you're some person with a, a coffin in the bookshelf, the, you know, you're probably kind of goth. Right, or like, right, you know, right. Got yeah, like, yeah, but that you was know, part that of your was... decor. It's a statement. Back then, it's just like, yeah, Grandpa made that. He's using it for his books until his time comes. You know, it's, it's like not their different attitude they had. No, you you know? have to be practical about things. It's like, mm-hmm. you really the morbidity. Practice- I mean, you mm-hmm. were, um, oh, God, what was it the other day? I can't remember. What town was it, Marlene? I can't remember, but it was where, it was a smaller town where the furniture company mm-hmm. used to double as where they would do the wakes. Almost oh, like sure. a, see the furniture people. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. I was like, what? I looked at that. And I said, is this a typo? And it's like, no, yeah. they actually, it was like, this is where you would do the they wake at, at the furniture yeah. company. Uh-huh. And I was like, what? Okay. Yeah. Uh, they, they, they're already making furniture and it's just sort of like furniture you're going to put in the ground. So it's a little sideline for them and they got to branch out. Yeah. You know, coffins weren't mass produced until after the Civil War because that's when we really, really needed it. And people were dying and needing to be right. transported all over America. So yes. yeah, before that, it's just like, yeah, I'll make you a chair. I'll make you a coffin. I'll make you whatever. <laughs> right. It was, I think it was a funeral. It was an obit or something like that. I was mm-hmm. reading it and I was like, what? Did, did yeah. What, in the furniture company? I was like, what, what those is that? Those little things, it kind of makes me sometimes want to make a TV show of old tiny, you know, those little historical tidbits to just stick into a TV show that kind of make us go, wow, that are eye-opening. This, yeah. you know, and it hasn't only been like 100 years or so, or 120 years that that would have been normal. I mean, wow, have things changed? Oh, here's the other thing that always kind of gets gasps from the audience is that um, we have a different idea now. Like uh, when you die, you know, on your, uh, on my card, on my driver's license, I'm an organ donor. So I mm-hmm. figure if I go and there's anything usable, you know, on me, they can have my usable, well, usable. Yeah. <laughs> they can have my corneas or my whatever, you know, take it. Uh-huh. If you want it, take it. And then, then I haven't decided what to do after that. But, you know, it's, I won't need my body, right? Well, right. back in like the 1800s and before that too, they really believed that on Judgment Day, you, you know, I've seen, uh, cases where the person would have a fresh suit, a fresh press suit, a change of clothes down at their feet. So on Judgment Day, they could change really quickly. To their Sunday best. It's like, yeah, okay. That, now, that's I've incredible. seen this a few times too. Like, let's, I know, incredible. it gets better. Um, people, if, if you had to have something amputated, like your arm or your leg or right. whatever, you would bury that next to you because on Judgment Day, you wanted all your parts. You know, you get a buddy buggy accident, you're not going to donate your body. That was a creepy idea to them. They, yes. um, they wanted everything. It was distressing if you, it was distressing to them not to have all their parts on uh, Judgment Day. So it's a different attitude towards, uh, it's very literal about you needing your body. You know, you're, well, of course you wouldn't be cremated. You which, want all your pieces. Which, I, from what I understand, this is why grave robbing back then, besides the obvious, was so horrendous to them, you know, because if you're mm-hmm. thinking, there's nothing of me left come judgment day <laughs> i've been taken apart there yeah. used to be riots in america at, at medical colleges really? because the medical there was no legal way for them to obtain cadavers to do studies on right and so either the students or they would hire somebody they would look for fresh corpses and um you know within a 
certain week window. And um, there was at least 17 different riots that I managed to find out about during the 1800s where people would go, um, one case really sad. I mean, this man, I just thought about it for me, it would be so distressing. Okay, so, you know, it's one thing to donate your body willingly. Mm -hmm. All right. Back then, you know, no one wanted to because you think you need it. It's right. just after your death, okay, that's a, our cultural belief. But there's this conundrum because there's also this rise of um, medicine is trying to mm -hmm. become a thing. Right. So, um, so they would. They, this man found, heard a rumor that that he lived in Ohio. He heard a rumor that his daughter's body had been dug up, or, or it had been dug up. I do believe. So he's trying to track it down. They tracked it down to a medical college. So he and his buddies went to the college and just unannounced. And somehow, you know, charged through there, and he found his daughter's hand. Uh, I don't know. Wow. And um, and was I can't I can't blame him for going no. bonkers. He and his buddies just set the place on fire. I mean, what are you going to yeah. do? They were so upset. So that is something that used to have before we had a more standardized and a different, you know, the cultural shift had right. to happen too. Where, it, but so so the next thing was they would then use criminals' bodies. So that didn't make it seem that didn't make. Um, donating your body seem any have a higher self-esteem I'm not self-esteem but um, you know seem like a good thing either if only criminals and bodies were being used it, it took a mental shift uh, yes. among people and but there were a lot of things too there's some interesting patents out there for you can search the internet for them and I have a in my book I talk about it a bit too the exploding coffin things that would um, are you, you kidding like a booby trap coffin there's pretty cool ones. You can oh see these old-time drawings, figure one, figure two, these really elaborate drawings. And that's what to do to avoid, um, you know, the void. they call them the resurrectionists. Mm -hmm. I think that's kind yeah. of a cool name. Yeah, so one way to avoid being dug up uh, was they would put them in receiving vaults. So if you're in a historic, this is something to keep in mind. So if you're in a historic graveyard or you know, cemetery and you're wandering around and you see a really old storage shed, but mm -hmm. it's kind of fancy, like maybe it's made of stone or brick and it has maybe, you know, it's just a little fancier than just a garden shed right. and it's fairly large, that may once have been a receiving vault. So sometimes what they would do is, uh, number one, well, if, it was, if you were living north and the ground freezes and it's, you, you can't, yes, the graveyard right. can't, can't dig, dig. You, you know, if, you, if it's permafrost, you know, happening in, in the winter, they can't dig your grave. So they would have to store your body until the springtime and then dig. So that was mm -hmm. one reason for the receiving vault. Another reason for the receiving vault, though, was to keep your body until it wouldn't be wanted by a grave digger. That was another sometimes a strategy. You know, and some cemeteries would hire night watchmen. Other right. cemeteries, of course, um, so the you know they would then target the where poorer people were buried. So like right. more country cemeteries and things. So they would do things like alternate dirt with straw because it's harder to dig if you keep hitting straw. Okay. The theory was that would slow you down because if you're a grave robber who's going to steal, you got to be really fast. Right. To, yeah, yeah, know. yeah. It's so like get if, in and if, out. If try, we'll try this one. Oh, it's oh, okay. Forget it. Let's go over to this one. You know, so that was another. There were a lot of strategies. I really kind of got like into like, wow, this could be a whole book on its own. Pretty much every chapter in my book, I felt like, wow, you know, I think each of these, I've got so much research I couldn't stick in the book because I want it to be kind of concise, a good overview. But there's so many little sidewinding oh, yeah. roads that I still, in the research, I can dig in. <laughs> Literally dig well, into more. One of the things that I found, uh, because I was doing also research, you know, like, you know, after the Civil War, which is when they put up a lot of the big... Uh, asylums or sanitariums the mental oh, yeah. you know oh. poor houses slash whatever you know that they would just mm -hmm. 
Well, Your husband's they, mad at you. He you know, yeah. He declares you insane. Whatever. I want to get rid of my wife, which, by the way, I ran across a couple of those stories. You know, I'm going to say she's of, mentally ill and commit her and, yeah, yes. and move on with my girlfriend to another state, whatever. Um, oh. They they would donate, unfortunately, because many times the families just didn't care, had moved away. They would donate their mm-hmm. bodies or give their bodies over to uh for the universities and things like that because again most of the time nobody was there to claim the body and once Mm -hmm. there was nobody there basically these asylums that were nine times out of ten run by the state had the Mm -hmm. option of doing whatever they wanted to with the remains and they can make a little money selling it to the college and no one's going to come. Exactly. Exactly. Ah. The universities, of course, were the big ones because that's where all the medical students were attending. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, um, you know, refrigeration is not what it is now as far as to keep yeah. a corpse. So, yeah, a mm-hmm. lot of the patients um, that ended up dying uh, in, in a lot of these asylums, that's where they ended up at. They would be given over to the university wow. for uh, dissection and, and anatomy and and again, no family there to say, what are you doing? So that was the end of that. Yes. And, so. I, and sometimes I've come across ones where they were trying to defend a criminal. So the family spends all the money on lawyers and everything. Yes. And then when the person, you know, dies in prison or is, it doesn't go well, <laughs> they, yes. they can't claim the body. So No, and then back then, yeah, people don't realize that uh, sometimes even the, if you were really, really poor, even a simple casket or transporting it was beyond your means. So, yeah, you know, you really didn't have much choice. And that, you know, and that, as a matter of fact, that's where a lot of times you would end up with those pauper's graves in some of the cemeteries. Even if you know we're not talking, uh, um, you know, especially yeah. if you had somebody die out there where there was no family or the family didn't show up or couldn't have the body shipped back to them, it was like, okay, we need to bury this person. Okay, just put them over there in the corner. <laughs> So. I know. Yeah, there are also African American slave uh, yes. graveyards. They are constantly. I I post a lot of this. I have a, a Facebook page where mm-hmm. if anyone who's watching this wants to post things um interesting graves they've seen or um I post articles. I posted a few recently about just different African American slave uh, cemeteries that have been accidentally discovered um, yes. recently even yes. and they. It's, you know, now they're trying to preserve them and figure out who's there. And it's really a labor of love for some historians. They've managed to trace some things back. Yes. Or they, yeah, they're doing there. some type of, um, what was it in, uh, I want to say it's about, this came out like less than a year ago. It's got oh. University of Mississippi on their medical oh. campus. Same thing. They were doing some type of, uh, because, you know, back then they would even segregate sometimes the insane asylums. And they oh. were digging up. Wow some type of the uh some ground for something they were going to build something do something and they discovered not hundreds thousands of graves oh wow of yeah these people that were african-american that had been in um in this asylum and had died and back then they they weren't going to put up any memorials or anything like that and as time goes by and they repurpose the buildings for other things everybody forgets that that field Mm -hmm. out there is littered if, with bodies. Yeah. Uh, so, yeah, like you're saying, every once in a while they're doing a road or they do something, they start coming up with all these uh, surprise. <laughs> all these different yeah. It, and some of it, I've 
But I mean, they're pretty urban areas occasionally. Mm -hmm. I think I just saw an article the other day about a place in Brooklyn. You know, you would think they would yes. have found everything in a such a population, such a dense population that they finding you know what you know, um, finding cemeteries there. Most of the times I've run across sometimes the stories, and it's almost like what you said, like the poltergeist. You know how the poltergeist movie? Yeah, they were supposed to yeah. move the bodies, but they never did. It's the same mm -hmm. thing when they start digging up and they come across what they, they realize it's a cemetery or graveyard. When they go back in the records, they say, oh, yeah, 100 years ago, supposedly they moved. And it was the, almost a cliche, a horse. Yeah, cliche. they moved oh, uh, they on the ancient moved the bodies to uh, this uh, new cemetery. But let's face it, these businessmen were thinking, that's a lot of money. Take a few of them I and just, forget it. Forget, don't worry. Don't, it doesn't uh, matter. I just read an interesting book kind of along those lines. Um it's called Digging for Daddy, and it's oh. about this woman. She just tried to fulfill a simple, not such a simple quest, but her, her mom's dying wish was that um, she lives, and her family now live in Texas, but the father was buried up in Chicago, okay. and they wanted to get his body transported to Texas and just have everybody all buried in a family plot down there. Okay. It's easy. They went up. She had attended her father's, you know, he died when she was young, like a but not that young. I think she was a teenager. I mean, she was, it wasn't like she was so little, she couldn't remember anything. And they were part of a church. Uh, and so she remembered even who had attended the funeral. Okay. And she knew what her dad's headstone looked like, where it was, but it had been a while since she'd been there. She travels up, mm -hmm. you know, gets permission to exhume his body. Number one, they had to dig the body. They had to do the digging themselves, like with shovels. They were not allowed to take a, a backhoe on there because it would have been, they thought that was too destructive for the, yeah, so that was a big eye-opener. So she and her family literally digging that up. They bring it up, and it. long story short, it is the wrong grave. So they try a whole bunch of, I forget how many graves they dig up, nine or ten, and huh. they do DNA testing, and they are not, nobody's buried where they're supposed to be. And every time she arrives, the, the clergy members have all, they, they're conveniently out of town. What? Um, yes. Oh. So I'm on an interview, Dad, so I can't talk right now. <laughs> Larry's in the other room. <laughs> Sorry. It's okay. Don't um, worry about that. <laughs> you know, it happens. Um, Believe so, me, I, I know. <laughs> <laughs> a lot of I, usually I make little signs, and I don't. I'm, I'm, you know, since I'm down here for the winter, I have all sorts of signs at home that say I'm on air right now, or this or that. I've got animals. I've got birds. So every once in a while, I'll be doing a show, oh. and you'll my dogs will bark, or my birds will go. Or so, 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 oh, don't, don't worry about that. Sleep the whole time. Doing this. <laughs> anyway, there's my father-in-law walking around behind us. <laughs> you're worry. on the, you're on air, Dad. Anyway, um, not so to worry. It was, it was quite a, a um, interesting book. If anyone wants to read it, Digging for Daddy. And so, in it, other words, what they thought through. was going to be a simple "Let's bring Daddy home" mm -hmm. turned out to be. That's incredible. Because yes, it makes you wonder what did they do. Uh, you know, it kind of looks like it was a similar thing. They were supposed to, um, they just, I think, buried, sold, moved the headstones and then moved the bodies and then resold the plots mm -hmm. to other people over time. And so they started to do it correctly and some bodies were found, but then they just slacked off and who knows, and they didn't keep good records. And it, it's just a big, yeah, it's a really horrifying tale. I just kind of read it one afternoon. I couldn't stop. Let me tell I you something. I'm going to look that up. I'm going to look that up because yeah. let me tell you yeah. something. That just happens to be more common. I think that people realize it's just that people mm -hmm. never go back and find themselves wanting or having to do that. You might want to interview her. She's a really interesting lady. Yes. I haven't met her in person, but. 
God, that's really, that's like something I bet you mm-hmm. she when they started that it was like this is it takes you off mm-hmm. in a direction it you did. never expect. And, and then, plus, it, well, yeah, they went through huge personal, emotional, you know, duress and personal expense to go up there and get this now mm-hmm. because of what they're doing and their tenacity. There is some legislation going through to protect this from happening again. It was not legislated. It was not overseen. It was not. It's something you would think people would be required to keep track of, but the it just all fell through the cracks. No one was really keeping track of it, and they were able to. You know, it ha- it's happen- it's more, It happens more often than you think. Well, I guess, that's what I was about to say. I, you think that was an isolated happened? incident? No. Yeah. No. Not at all. That was my big eye opener. That and that they had to do all the digging themselves. Finally, they got some publicity, and a guy came with a backhoe and was able to help in certain areas. But there were still some areas where they had to physically just spend hours. And I just can't. How traumatic would that be? You digging up your own ancestor? I, I would. I don't know. It would be tough. Well, a, about a year ago in San Francisco, there was a family. They live in the. I want to say it's Richmond Heights. Mm-hmm. They're doing. Um, they're renovating their garage, or they're doing something with their garage, and they, they decide they're going to go to Idaho. And the workmen, when they're digging, they find a grave underneath oh. the house. Comes Ooh. out, it's a, it's it's one of these small coffins. It was it was a child, and it had oh, a yes. window on it. When they look, it's they have perfectly preserved little blonde girl oh inside gosh, of it, one of those. holding oh. a rose. So wow. of course they come back, and the family gets a hold of the city, and the city's like, well. Whatever, whatever you do whatever you want i don't know <laughs> they <laughs> they put her in touch with this uh, organization which supposedly takes care of uh, burying like unwanted children children that don't have families yes. but that between the family and the organizations and everybody pitched in mm-hmm. they start trying to figure out comes to find out uh, originally that whole area had been part of a cemetery same story oh. they <laughs> had moved certain bodies a certain map I bet you oh. the most economical way. So they left a bunch of these graves in there. Mm-hmm. And um, no one will ever know. Well, they did. They <laughs> did find out, believe it or not, the university mm-hmm. stepped in and they oh, opened wow. it up real quick. She It was airtight. That's why she was also so well preserved. Oh. Mm-hmm. Um, they took uh, like a hair follicle mm-hmm. and uh, they were able to, you know, for DNA purposes. Mm-hmm. And then they started looking at old maps of the cemetery that used to be there, trying to kind of like narrow down, a, you know, because she looked to be like a toddler, like deaths and families. Mm-hmm. Bottom line, believe it or not, they were able to identify her like a year later. And they oh, were able really to neat. find to her family still living over there in California. Really? I'm gonna yes. Look that um, where uh, because of the, of the <laughs> hair follicle. They were able mm-hmm. to match the DNA because they, they finally narrowed it down to certain families. And then mm-hmm. they were able to find a living person of the family, luckily, and take a DNA wow. swab and compare it. And that's how they confirmed this is who that little girl was. <laughs> and it oh, turned gosh. out it was her great, great or grand, grand, grand nephew. Who was, he's an older gentleman now that still lived out in California. Mm-hmm. So that they were able really to do neat. a DNA uh, comparison. And mm-hmm. it, uh, I mean, when you see the picture, she looks like a little doll in this little oh, lead coffin. And oh. uh, <clears throat> they had determined that she had died of something what they call miasmus, which is like that basically a child mm-hmm. wastes away. They just, for some reason, they oh. stop making it, their body stops taking in nutrients. Oh, and, failure um, to thrive. She, yeah. you know, she passed away. Mm-hmm. And 
you know, what they were saying was, obviously, this child was very well loved mm -hmm. uh, because of the way she was buried and everything. And mm. she had a rosary made of uh, eucalyptus seeds. I mean, there was everything was in there since it was airtight. Oh, she was perfectly wow. in there. That's really a historical record. As yes, well, it is. It is. I mean, and um, pretty, from the archaeological standpoint, yeah. and the historical and the yes. cultural. And, um, there's a lot to learn there. Mm -hmm. and, the, and they said, well, enough. Also, the family had to be pretty well off, you know, because they were, you know. Yeah. And luckily, the family member was still living in California, and they were able That's to match really it up. And they did like a they reburied her, because mm -hmm. they had given her, uh, before they were, you know, at some point they thought we don't even know where we're going to find her. They had given her the name of Miranda Eve, and oh, okay. they had buried her, and then they. They they re did another ceremony and they filled in mm -hmm. her her gravestone. Interred her somewhere. Yes, uh -huh. it was in a different cemetery. I think it's in Colma in California. Oh yeah, I want to go mm -hmm. there. That's pretty amazing. And I thought it was such. A, it was a really really interesting story. Mm -hmm. But getting back to what we were talking about, that a lot of times <laughs> these graveyards or these cemeteries, because I, I'm glad you pointed out that difference for me. These cemeteries. But like I use them interchangeably, but you know, you know they like a technical um, difference. If you, want you know, these people that were doing back then, these businessmen, they were looking at budgets and expediency. They didn't care about sentimental stuff like mm -hmm. that was your grandma, your grandpa, your kid. All they were thinking yeah. was, oh, okay, like take some over there and forget it. If they don't know about it, you know. yeah. And then so. the next thing you know is you're doing a renovation on your garage and you dig up a coffin. It's like, okay. So there you go. <laughs> Another person just walked in, so I'm like, <laughs> don't worry about it. Well, you know what? Okay. We thank you so much for the time you spent for me. I, I, this is I could if I don't I could talk and talk hours and hours about this because I, I think it's so fascinating about the cemetery symbols. I enjoyed this so much. And I wanted to thank you I for the wanna, time that you spent. Yeah, I want to tell people um, if they want to get just a little brief guide to the meaning of, of hands mm -hmm. in cemeteries, they can just go by my website, tuesnyder.com. You okay. can sign up for my newsletter, which I don't send out that often. And okay. as a thank you, you get a little PDF. And it's just a good way to get started. It tells you what different hands mean. Like, what does it mean pointing up? What does it mean pointing down? Yeah. You know, when hand, different types of handshakes and just a, a little bit. I have a whole chapter on the hands, but this is just a little a thing I like to give out when I give a talk. As a I think that's great. I, I think it's fascinating. People might enjoy it. And then the other thing I wanted to say, drop by my Facebook page. You can just type in okay. grave hour as one word <laughs> and it'll pop up and you can uh, share like, that. or watching this and you think, oh, I have a symbol. I'm wondering what it means. You can share it there and we'll, you know, me and the community there will help you figure it out. And it's just a fun place. Excellent. I like a place where I can go and talk about graveyards. I will be hooking and up. Like you, I could talk about this all day and I, I appreciate you having I me love on. This thank you. No, thank you so much. <laughs> Take care. Thank you. Have a great weekend. Bye-bye. You too. Bye-bye. <laughs> okay, guys. <laughs> I love, I'm, so, I'm such a dweeb. <laughs> I am. I admit it. I'm such a dweeb. <laughs> because I think this stuff is so fascinating. To me, it is. It is. It's super fascinating because I feel like, um, I don't know if it's because I do so many um, visits to cemeteries um and you know you realize these are people these or were people i'm saying uh sometimes with their own uh story you know some of them you know inevitably we all die but especially when you look at some of these graves where they were either young or children you know it's very sad or 
you know, there's drama sometimes there, sometimes it's not. Sometimes it's just ordinary lives that end up where we all end up at dying. But um, yeah, especially in the older parts, there's a lot of symbology that I myself, I'm going to get that book because there's a lot of stuff that I've seen that I was like, I wonder what that means. And I know it means something. Um, so yeah, for any of those cemetery aficionados, even if you're not a ghost hunter, definitely her book is something to get. I know I'm getting it, like I said, because... Um, and, uh, even, and, and, and especially like she said about those, um, those graves that sometimes depending on the reason, but sometimes that they face different ways or slant or, as a matter of fact, we were talking about it before we started to record where, uh, back then, you know, we're talking, you know, maybe after the civil war and turn of the century a little bit, um, when you died, you know, people even then were, they would object to being connected to you even after you died. They didn't want you buried in the same graveyard or they wanted to shake their finger at you even from the other side, like either burying you in the corner, burying you in a different way. They wanted to and um, castigate the person somehow or other. Uh, in other words, they wanted, and let's face it, Nowadays, if you walk into a cemetery, you really don't know by looking at gravestones who was a good person, who was a bad person, who did good things, bad things, whatever. And back then, this they didn't want you to be buried among the good people and for nobody to know that maybe you had done something wrong, whether it was morally wrong or whatever, questionable. It could have been the most simplest thing. They wanted, if anybody visited that cemetery, to know that somehow or other you had been a bad person or you had did something that was not right <laughs> it's like that thing about the 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 christian symbolism of the pitcher for possibly a super super straight arrow teetotaler woman i gotta look at that so guys i hope you like the show uh please like the video subscribe to my channel catch me on facebook and on twitter i stream a lot there uh, again, I'm going to put out a call to my true believers, guys, if you've got a story to say, film yourself and send it to me, uh, go to miamighostchronicles.com, you'll find a connection there, Marlene at miamighostchronicles.com, uh, you know, you can do it with your phone, if you want to just record yourself into an mp3, tell the story, I get a lot of stories on emails, uh, and I know I'm losing something in translation, uh, and I promise I'll either include it, the recording, retell it, or just show your actual video uh, of you telling me the story. You know, you don't, if you don't want to admit, if you want to admit full names, that's fine. However you want to tell the story. It doesn't, you don't have to have experienced it. If it's a family story, you know, the families pass along generation to generation about the haunting at the old farm. I don't care. I'm not out to prove it. I just, I just love hearing these stories uh, about experiences that people have had or their families have had or locations even if it was something like what she was describing about when she was a kid she hears something or somebody jumping on the bed hello <laughs> what is that i think that was such a great story and it's almost you know how they look at the the movies now nobody believes the little kid there you go nobody believes the little kid and she was left to her own devices to confront it. But I think that was such, that was an excellent, I love that story. That's what I'm hoping some of you true believers are going to send me 
Again, send it to me. I'm really interested in that. So guys, thank you so much for viewing this or listening on podcasts. Like I said, if you don't find me on YouTube, I'm on iTunes, I'm on Spreaker, I'm on iHeartRadio, I'm on SoundCloud. You can catch the podcast version of this or you can even go to storiesofthesupernatural.info and you can either listen to the podcast or download it also from there. So either way, however it is that you access us again, I want to say you have my deepest thanks and please come back.